0: Chapter 19 A Twofold Mystery of Unity Before describing our Lord's psychology, and more particularly his human soul, and before discussing his relations with the holy angels and the elect in heaven, insofar as we are able and inasmuch as the good God has made it known to us, we shall try to penetrate more deeply into our Lord's interior life, our Lord's inner life. His spiritual life, His human interior life, matters more than His physical life. Without a doubt, the sacrifice of the cross required that the Word assume a body capable of suffering and of shedding blood. To be sure, the oblation that our Lord made of His body could not have been accomplished without the interior acts of His understanding, will, and soul. One of the points dearest to the Magisterium of the Church throughout the course of her history has been the defense of what our Lord Jesus Christ is. All the Christological errors, so numerous during the first centuries, were fought by the theologians and bishops who lived at the time. They defended the true nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, and especially the existence of his human soul, his human intelligence and will, against monothelitism, monophysitism, and against all the errors by which men have attempted to destroy our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things our Lord most clearly affirmed was his oneness with the Father, and for us the contemplation of the oneness between the Father and the Son is a source of great consolation. To think that the eternal Son of the Father was present before the eyes of the Apostles, criss-crossed the highways and byways of Palestine, dwelled in those lands, is a fact that absolutely consoles and encourages those who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a good idea to call to mind the words which our Lord spoke concerning His oneness with the Father, so that we might be perfectly convinced of this reality. We have already reviewed the eternal mission of our Lord, which is the procession of the Incarnate Word with the Trinity. This mission of the Word is eternal and continues, so to speak, is prolonged in time by the Incarnation. This temporal mission instructs us about the eternal oneness between the Father and the Word. In his work entitled Les Enseignements de Jésus-Christ the Rev. Father bon writes, as we have seen, From the mission of Christ we penetrate more deeply into the mystery of his person. Quote, and no man hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven, says the Lord. John 3.13 This is a sentence that throws a vivid light upon what our Lord is. What is heaven? It is the Father who is heaven. It is God who is heaven. It is not a place where the Father resides. It is the Father himself. It is God who is heaven. That is how it appears in the apocalypse. There will be no place. God will be in all, and thus it is God who is heaven. He that descended from heaven Who then has descended from God? It is the Son of Man. He who stands before the Apostles lives in the Father. He is in heaven. Our Lord can also say, Not that any man hath seen the Father, but he who is of God, he hath seen the Father. John 6.46 He who is of God is his Son. Saint John also writes this. It is once again the son of God incarnate who can say I am from above that is from God John 8:23 whereas his auditors are of this world from below He also says before Abraham was made I am John 8:58 signifying an eternal present It was at this moment that the Jews took up stones to cast at him manifestly this was a clear assertion of his divinity the perfect oneness of father and son is also a current reality belonging to the present says father bonsevain and then comes this stupefying sentence i and the father are one john 10:30 could he have affirmed his oneness with the father any more clearly and perfectly These considerations should help us in our meditations and prayer when we are present before the Blessed Sacrament. We must have this clear awareness, this conviction, this profound faith that our Lord is truly God, that our Lord is in God, and is one with the Father and with the Holy Ghost. He is part of the Holy Trinity. If we consider our Lord, we might say that, in a certain way, He is more God than man, of course, our Lord is truly, fully man. He is a perfect man with a soul and body like ours. He is even the most perfect of all men. But, just the same, what gives subsistence to his manhood is God. It is the word of God who assumes this manhood. As God is so much greater, infinite, more perfect, more knowing than man, it is clear that the reality of God in our Lord is infinitely greater infinitely more beautiful and deep than his human reality. Yet, nonetheless, by a mystery of the grace of the good God, a mystery of his love, we see the unity of this human creature, this human body and soul, and God himself. They constitute but one sole person in two natures. Here, too, is a perfect oneness. There have been hierarchs who taught that the two natures were separated, but made a unity of some kind. The truth is that there is in our Lord Jesus Christ a profound and perfect, though mysterious, oneness between the human nature and the divine. This oneness consists in the one person of our Lord, truly divine, the person of the word. It is clear that this reality has considerable influence on the human psychology of our Lord and for the life of his soul. His human soul was united to God himself, had been assumed by God. There was no other person. All the acts of this soul, as well as all the acts of the body of our Lord, were the acts of God. They were divine acts because... They were not two persons in our Lord, but only one. The person is the subject to whom are attributed all our acts. Consequently, all the acts accomplished by our Lord must be said to be divine acts.